0: Over and school is just around the corner. All the teachers in the house give a deep sigh, all the students in the house give a deep groan, and all the parents in the house try to suppress deep shouts of joy. I know some of you try hard not to think about school, especially when you don't have to think about school, but As you think about school, do you or did you have a favorite subject or a favorite teacher? Now, one of my favorite subjects was algebra. Yeah, I liked it so much I took it several times. (laughs) And when I say several, I mean not just a couple of times, but several times. One of my favorite teachers was named Mr. Bookwalter. And no, he wasn't a librarian, but with a name like that, right, he's supposed to be a teacher, you know? It's like the major league pitcher who's named Bob Walk, right? Though come to think of it, he probably should have been a position player or at least a designated hitter. I mean, with a name like Bob Walk, you probably shouldn't be a pitcher, you know? not 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 too good there. So, when you think about school and you think about subjects and teachers, what is it that inspires a student to learn? I mean, sometimes a subject will capture the interest of a student, and and, and they're just cruising along, and a particular subject comes along, and it just fuels this desire to learn. Sometimes it is a teacher. Sometimes a teacher will provide a spark. It ignites a fire that a student has for learning. Now, today as we return to the book of Titus and we look at the work of grace in our lives, we're going to encounter grace in a different way. We're going to find an unexpected and remarkable teacher. Now, we're looking at two sections in Titus, which in the original language are both impressive run-on sentences. I mean, when you consider the grammar structure of these two sentences, or I should say the lack of grammatical structure, it almost makes me wonder if Paul even paid attention during English class. Oh, All right, then. I guess there's nothing left to do but just to read the Bible. Titus chapter 2 is our first one in our English Bibles. It's verses 11 through 14. I'm going to read right right from there from Titus 3 verses 4 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. That is the way we should live because God's grace that can save everyone has come. It teaches us not to live against God nor to do the evil things the world wants to do. Instead, that grace teaches us to live now in a wise and right way and in a way that shows we serve God. We should live like this while we wait for our great hope and the coming of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And now from Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior was shown, he saved us because of his mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. God poured out richly upon us that Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our Savior, being made right with God by His grace, we could have the hope of receiving the life that never ends. Let's pray. Father, we are, uh, we're grateful that we have this time and this place to open Your Word, and as we do so, we pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to understand the truth that You have for us this day. We pray through Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Teacher. Amen. Now, these two sentences, as I've been explaining, are really the most concise explanation of the gospel in in all of Scripture. I was talking to David Thurman last week, and he he said, yeah, Titus is essentially a condensed version of Romans. And in this condensed version of Romans… You've got these two sentences that are, that are so packed full of, of doctrine and theology. So, so what we're doing as we're looking at the work of grace in our lives, we're just trying to look at one concept at a time. Last week, we learned from verse 11 that grace is the epiphany of God. And so this week, we learned last week how grace makes an ethical demand on the lives of those who were saved of those who believe. And so, today we're going to continue exploring this work of grace. And the very first thing we see is that the grace of God is our teacher, that grace teaches us now, we're, we're used to, I say used to, it's, it's taken a while for us to get used to talking about the Holy Spirit in our tradition, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good concept for us to understand the Holy Spirit as our teacher in the various ways that the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's probably a different thing to think about that grace also is our teacher. Now, this is the first thing that we discover, and we discover this in verse 12. And if you'll look at that again in your Bibles, it says, "...it teaches us," and it's talking about grace here, "...it teaches us not to live against God, nor to do the evil things the world wants to do. Instead, that grace teaches us to live now in a wise and right way, and in a way that shows we serve God." So, what you notice in your Bible is that twice in verse 12 is that word teaches. So, Paul is telling us that grace has this function, that the way that grace operates in our lives is as a teacher. Twice he says it. It teaches us on this side to do this, and it teaches us on the other side to do this. So, there's two things that grace is teaching us. Now, most of us have been brought up to see grace as a single-serve commodity, right? It's like it's something that's there in reserve in case you need it, and it would sure be helpful if you just used a little bit of it so that we would have some left over for everybody else. Now, now this view of grace, it, it, that's like a leave a penny, take a penny view of grace. It's like it's just there if you need it, but if you can pay your own way, if you can cover it on your own, then, then go ahead and do that. But the Bible is showing us that and showing us how grace is a constant and active presence in our life. It's not just this single serve commodity that one day we're going to need some of this grace. No, it's teaching us that right now, right this very minute, that in the lives of those who have professed Jesus as Savior, those who believe Him, those who have come to Him for salvation, that those who have been saved by grace— that even now in this moment, grace is operating in your life, and it's operating in your life as a teacher. So, what we're seeing here is that grace operates in the lives of those who believe in a very personal and purposeful way. And, and really, if you think about it, there can be no more personal nor purposeful work than that of a teacher. Someone who takes upon themselves to to oversee and, and, and steward the education of another. So, we explore this work of grace in our lives in a really unusual way. The work of grace as our teacher is connected with what we learned last week. So, last week we learned that grace makes an ethical demand on the lives of those who believe. Now, if you notice again in your Bibles, and and Gary, from now on, just go to the next slide, which is, let's just keep up there, the definition of the gospel that we're working with from Shaped by the Gospel, which I think is just the next slide. Now, if you'll look in your Bibles, you'll notice that in verse 11, it begins with the words, that is the way we should live. And then if you notice in verse 13, that verse also says, we should live like that. So, this is a doctrinal oatmeal cream sandwich cookie. That's what it is, right? The two cookies are the, this is how we should live, that is how we should live. And the cream filling, which is sometimes often the best part, that's this idea that grace is doing this work, that grace is teaching us how to live. So, if we can, if we can see that grace makes an ethical demand on our life, that's true, But this is an even better truth for us to understand and realize. Grace makes an ethical demand on our life. Yes, that's right. But grace does not abandon us to fulfill or accomplish that ethical demand on our own. Grace doesn't just say, okay, this is how you should live, and then we never see or hear from grace again, right? Grace doesn't show up on the first day of class to inform you that there will be a final test worth 100% of your grade at the end of term, and then grace walks out the door. Never to be seen again until the last day of school when grace walks in the classroom and hands out the test and says, good luck, and oh, by the way, we're probably not grading on a curve. What Titus is teaching us here is that because we are saved by grace, Grace makes an ethical demand on the way that we live as those who are saved by grace. But Titus is also showing us that because we are saved by grace, that grace works in our lives as our teacher to show us how we should live. And so this personal and purposeful work in our lives of grace is the work of a teacher. Now, we understand how grace does this by looking at the particular word that the Apostle Paul chooses to describe this work. Now, uh, Gary, just leave this slide up. But if you go back and look in your own Bibles in verse 12, we've already seen that Paul uses this word, teaches us, twice. Now, some of your Bible translations may use different words. Uh, For example, I think the uh, English Standard Version may even use the word, training that grace is training us. Now, the Greek word is the Greek word paiduo. Paiduo. Okay? Now, our word padawan comes from this Greek word. Okay, I made that part up. But it may not be too much of a stretch. So the word padawan was first coined by George Lucas and the word padawan is a term That's used in Star Wars of one who is a learner or an apprentice. And so those who were aspiring Jedi Knights, they would come under the tutelage, their education was overseen by a Jedi Master, and they were Padawans. Here's the fascinating thing. According to Merriam-Webster, this word has now become part of our modern vocabulary. That we use it as if it's part of our vocabulary. In fact, it's being used in a general way of people who are learners, followers, apprentices, or anyone just starting out doing something. I mean, in some circles, Padawan is actually the new intern. They don't have interns, they have Padawans. So, Seth, Braden, please rise. Seth and Brayden, what's wrong with my lightsaber? There we go. You came to us as ministry sensitive. You became our interns, and now we proclaim you Padawans. All right. It's really interesting because you think about this word, especially in our church culture and beyond, the word discipleship. And the word disciple has such negative connotation. I mean, it carries so much baggage in our world today. So what if we started using the word Padawan instead? Right? So, I mean, here at East Sunshine, we're focusing on becoming Padawans of Jesus. That sounds like a good slogan for a bike club, doesn't it? You know, Padawans of Jesus, right? I mean, the next time someone asks you what you do, try this out. I'm a Padawan of Jesus. And just see what happens. See see where the conversation takes you. You know, we already have Awana on Wednesday nights, which resumes this fall. And if you want more information, you can talk to Michaela and Amy about this. But since we already have Awana classes on Wednesday night, is it too far of a stretch to start Padawana classes on Wednesday night? I mean, I think it works. I, I think it's something that we should talk about. Now, this Greek word actually means to discipline to educate, or to train. Now, what you have to understand is that Paul is using this particular word deliberately. There is another word in the Greek that specifically means teach, right, or to instruct. Paul knows this word, and he uses this word in other places, but he's trying to communicate something, He's trying to convey something by the choice of this particular word because this word literally means to train children. That's what this word means. We get our English word, this is true, we get our English word pedagogy from this. That's what this word means in our English language. And and it literally means the process, the way you teach, how you teach, a form of teaching. But it's always applied in instruction that is given to a child. You're raising or training a child up in this way of teaching. So let's just say, just as a matter of example, that someone is struggling in their academic career with, oh, I don't know, a subject like algebra. Let's just use that as an example Do you keep forcing them to take the same class over and over and over again? Apparently. Or do you try to figure out a different way for them to learn the concepts? Apparently not. But see, that's what pedagogy is all about. It's about a form, a method, a way of teaching something. So Paul is communicating by using this word that grace is not only our teacher, but is trying to communicate how grace is teaching us the way that grace is teaching us. And so we're talking now about the curriculum of grace. And so this is fascinating. When you look at verse 12 and you see what what is happening here is that we understand that spiritual transformation, we understand that spiritual formation, it's a process. It doesn't just happen overnight, that it involves the investment of time and energy and resources, both of the teacher and of the learner. And this is the same expectation of us who are in Christ. I mean, we begin our new life as as infants or babes in Christ. And the expectation is that we're going to grow, that we're not going to stay there. But grace is with us as our personal and purposeful teacher leading us in this process of growth and training. I mean, can you think about how disastrous the scenario is if we say, okay, I've been saved by grace thanks Grace, I'll take it from here. But that's usually how we approach it. We usually approach it that way. And the pedagogy of Grace, what Grace is trying to do for us is trying to do four things. One, it's teaching us how to live. The second thing it's doing is it's encouraging us in the way we should live, but it's also correcting us in our life and it's disciplining us in the way that we live. Now, I'm pretty sure that we were all, you know, cruising right along pretty well with those first two, teaching and encouraging, right? But when it got to correcting and disciplining, you know, suddenly like it got a little ominous there. But you notice in verse 12 that the work of grace to teach us, it's trying to correct us, it's trying to discipline us, it's trying to encourage us in our lifestyle and in our choices, And I want you to notice that in verse 12, there is a negative aspect of this and a positive aspect of this. So you look at verse 12, and I think the order is important, the order is intentional. You look at the first clause in verse 12, and what does it say? Grace teaches us not to live against God, nor do the evil things that the world wants to do. So, So that first clause is how grace is teaching us not to. Uh, What it's essentially saying is that grace is teaching us, and some translations even use this, grace is teaching us to renounce ungodliness, that grace is teaching us to renounce worldly passions. Grace is teaching us to say, because of the favor of God, because of the kindness and the mercy that I have been shown, because of God's grace, I renounce this way of life, this way of living that is contrary to Him, or against Him. So, grace is teaching us first to say no to some things so that we can say yes to other things. Three quick examples. The Ten Commandments. They're a mix of I do's and I don'ts. You're saying yes in one aspect or several aspects of your life so that you can say no to these other aspects. Think about uh, whenever you've gone to a wedding and that place in the vow right? Where the bride and groom are saying, I renounce all others. So, what they're saying is that, that my I do's have a lot to do with my I don'ts. See, those two things go together. And then this is a really good example and something that's probably foreign to most of us. Have you ever uh, read or seen the U.S. citizenship oath that people take to become naturalized citizens of this country. It's, it's amazing. I mean, there's a whole testament there of, 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 of an application here, but the first clause of this oath says, I'm going to read it, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. That's the first clause. Like, wow. But do you see what's happening And and this is why this is probably one of the best examples, because in Christ we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And part of this transfer is renouncing our citizenship of darkness, renouncing that way of life, renouncing this way of living to say, I choose this way of living instead. Now, If you read the entire oath of citizenship for the United States, you see that it's a combination of things. It's, I will not do this, but I will do this instead. I mean, it's like one negative statement and then four positive statements. I won't do this, but I will do these four things. That's what's happening here. That grace is teaching us that before we can say yes to the life that God has for us, we have to say no to the old life in the first place. It's teaching us to say no to those things that are against the heart of God. It's teaching us to say no to those things that are against the character of God that don't reflect who He is. We cannot become a new creation. We cannot be newly created in Christ until we renounce the old way of life which separated and alienated us from God in the first place. So grace, the first thing that grace is doing is teaching us to say no over here so that we can say yes over here. We say no to ungodliness. We say no to the things that the world wants to do. We say no to the constructs of our culture that opposes itself to God. We're saying no to those things because in our life we're trying to say yes to God. Now, look at the things that we're saying yes to. It's in the second clause of that. Instead, right, instead of those other things, this is what grace is teaching us to say yes to. Grace teaches us to live now in a wise and right way and in a way that shows we serve God. Grace is teaching us to live self-controlled lives. Grace is teaching us to live upright and godly lives. Grace is teaching us that there is a moral, a moral and ethical demand that's based on God's value system and not ours. I mean, we live in this present age and we witness in this present age, but it's based on the truth of what God says for us, His moral code, His ethical standard, and not ours. Now, now you look closer at this, you, you, you dig in closer, and you see the, co- the curriculum of grace is, is truly comprehensive. I mean, this is one impressive syllabus. The method of teaching that grace is trying to employ in our life, it goes so far beyond just one aspect of our life. For example, grace is trying to train us in our inward life to be self-controlled, to live in a wise and right way. Grace is trying to train you in your outward life to live this way now or in this present age. Grace is trying to train you in your upward life in a way that shows that we serve God. See, oftentimes, we'll just single on one of these. We'll just say, I'm just going to focus on inward life, or I'm just going to focus on outward life, or I'm just going to focus on upward life. And grace is trying to come in and say, no, let's, let's talk about all of it. We need to focus on all of it. Grace is not a one-dimensional fitness instructor. I mean, can you imagine going to a personal trainer who all, all this trainer does is specialize in forearms, right? Like that's their specialty, right? I mean, this trainer, she insists and she demands that you only work on your forearm muscles. She has no other equipment in her gym and no other knowledge outside of let's work on those forearms, Right? So you, you, you sign up, and, and so day after day, you go to Olive's gym and you work out for an hour or two a day for weeks and weeks and weeks and months. And how does this help you? Right? I mean, you come out with these massive forearms, and, and besides being heavily recruited by Baskin Robbins, what other good is it gonna do? Right? And so, grace is not just interested as a teacher in one specific dimension of your life, it doesn't ignore the others. It says, let's look at the whole of who you are. Let's work on inward, and let's work on outward, and let's work on upward because they're connected. They're tied together. What grace is teaching us is what we call the process of spiritual formation. It's showing us that because we have been saved by the gospel, that we allow this same grace which saves us to shape us. To change us. Grace teaches us to address behavior always with the gospel in view. See, grace is talking about this ethical demand, but there's one last thing we have to see. Grace is interested in behavior. It really is. But grace is more interested in motivation of our behavior. Grace is interested in the things that we say no to and the things that we say yes to. But grace is more interested in the motivation, the reason why we say no, and the reason why we say yes. And this is why the gospel is the only solution to the challenge of legalism and relativism, because grace is addressing the motivation of our heart. Think about your life. Why do you say no to some things? Because you have to? Because you're forced to? because you want to get on God's good side, because you'll, you know, there's all these motivations that we have for saying no to some things and saying yes to some things. Our brother Timothy Keller says, "'When I realize that through Jesus I'm already accepted, that changes my motivation. When I realize that through Jesus I am already accepted, that changes my motivation.'" Now I don't obey merely because I have to in order to get things from God. I obey because I want to. I want to please Him, but I want to know Him, and I want to resemble the one who gave me salvation. That's what grace is doing in our lives. So think about it. How wonderful and lovely it is that grace is our teacher. I mean, the justice of God is a pretty effective teacher. I mean, you learn some lessons. The holiness of God is a pretty effective teacher. You, you learn some lessons, but only grace can lead you to a life of justice, which seeks to serve God for who He is and for not for what He will do for you. Only grace can lead you to a life of holiness, which seeks to obey God because not because you have to, but because you want to. Only grace can lead you to a life of obedience where the desire of your heart is to seek Him and to know Him and to become like Him. Grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions because you are saved by grace. Because we are saved, we're saying no. Because we're saved, we're saying yes. See, grace teaches you to say no and to say yes from grace, not for grace. Grace is teaching us to say yes and to say no from acceptance, not for acceptance. Grace is teaching us to say yes and no from salvation, not for salvation. Don't you see? It changes your heart because your motivation is different, because your motivation is different. All other motivations will eventually crush and destroy you. Only a motivation of grace can do the work that God needs to do in our heart. There is no better teacher than grace. There is no better subject than grace. There is no better curriculum than grace because the gospel is the good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us, that He's done it for us and that He's done this through Christ in order to bring us into a right relationship with Him and eventually destroy all the results of sin in the world. The gospel says that Jesus got what we earned or deserved, and then we get what He earned, what He deserved. On the cross, Jesus was despised and rejected so we could be accepted as those who are cherished by God. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken. God said no to him so that he could say yes to us. Let my yes be yes to you, O Lord. Let my no be no to the things of this world. If I rise or fall, if I stand at all, I'm leaning on your everlasting arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. What a priceless gift. God, I'm yours and you are mine. Let my restless soul be still and know I am leaning on your everlasting arms. Let's pray. Father, would you through your holy spirit which is present because you are present in this place would you apply this truth for those who are for those who are weary and broken trying to earn an acceptance they already have in you for those who are frustrated for those who are struggling for those who can't make sense of how they're ever going to do it by their own effort would you speak these words of truth and grace to our hearts. Father, would you call us to be a people who loves you and serves you just for you? May our motivation be your favor and your grace. We pray through Jesus, our Savior, the Holy Spirit, who through grace is our teacher. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we share in this song together. Our shepherds and their wives are going to be down front and in the aisles. And if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, and speak to our shepherds. If you would like prayers on your behalf, if you would like someone to pray with you, we invite you as well as we share in this song together.
1: You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, those who passed by. Even averted their gaze from the sight. Such was the suffering you bore. For us led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong, nor was deceitfulness found in you by wounds, our salvation has come. Even averted their gaze from the sight. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter. You spoke not a word, but chose to be silent. Though you did no wrong, nor was deceitfulness found. who passed by, even averted their gaze from the sight, such was the suffering you bore.
2: As we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper. Let's uh, pray together. Holy Father, thank you for fully pouring out your grace that day on the cross. You wanted relationship so much with us. You were willing to give everything to have that relationship. And as we partake of this bread, this fruit of the vine this morning, that we are reminded that we have said no to the old ways of our lives and are saying yes to the teaching that grace brings in our lives and the relationship that it brings with you. And it's through your son Jesus I pray. Amen. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ poured out for us.
3: Still, you give yourself away. Of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of
0: God. Would you stand, please? We're grateful that you've been with.